This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, LS Pod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Love strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen proudly sponsored by the stfc official supporters club rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot Very exciting. Thank you very much for agreeing to take part in the old pod. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I've, I've I've listened to a few of them. I've listened to Cy and uh, and Cows when he was on a couple months ago. So, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, pleasure to be on. <laughs> yeah. So we already know there's going to be high expectations for you, Sean, because we've heard a few of your stories over the uh, over the episodes, uh, tennis in Manchester and all that sort of malarkey, but. Hopefully we'll get some new stories from this one, eh? Uh, I hope so. I mean, like I said, like you just said, I mean, uh, if Sai and Callum have been on and, and relaying stories, and you can't always, you've got to take Callum's stories with a pinch of salt. He's, we call him the embellisher because he, he can make, he can turn an average story into an incredible one. So I'm sure he would have told him better than me anyway. <laughs> well, we will see. So first of all, I hope you and your family are all well at time of recording. Of course, we are in the middle of a lockdown, but you're back to work. Yeah, we started back at stage one last Monday, uh, non-contact work, which we've done all week. And then same again yesterday, but today we we had a little bit of contact work uh, as we kind of push into what they're calling phase two, um, which is a limited amount of time as a group. 
um, but over large areas just to kind of keep ourselves safe and obviously keep everyone else safe when we come home to our families. Absolutely. And the boring question that I've been telling everyone, asking everyone, because I need to know because I'm nosy, is what are you watching on Netflix, Disney, Prime, etc.? What's been on? Um, I mean... To be fair, I don't know if it's a good thing or bad. Me and the missus are we're quite big bingers when we when we get onto the uh, TV series. So we've been rattling out loads. We uh, we just finished defending Jacob, which is on Apple TV, which was brilliant. Uh, we just started a new one uh, yesterday. Speak the truth, I think it's called on Apple TV. But we we started watching Vikings again, uh, which we're up to about season five and. Yeah, we've anything BBC, ITV dramas, Netflix, anything that we haven't watched, we, we're giving it a bash. And if we don't like it, we kind of give up and then on to the new one. So how many episodes do you give a series before you go, nope? Uh, it, I, kinda, I, I think it depends on how many seasons there are. If there's a few out there... Um, it's got to get better, right? <laughs> it has to, yeah. I mean... I think if you look at like Game of Thrones, I think the first season of Game of Thrones was quite confusing for a lot of people. There was a lot going on. But once you get past that first season, it really starts to kick off and you end up, it's one of the best that's been ever been made, really. So, uh, I mean, we'll give them maybe five five or six episodes. And if Stacey, my, my, my missus, she's, she's a harsher critic than I am. So I'll happily, like, dig in and get through something if I start it I hate giving up but um she'll just turn it off yeah I, I prevail usually the only thing I did give up on recently was the walking dead and it wasn't a it wasn't an act of like that's it me done I just and the season ended and I never came back that was a couple of seasons ago yeah I I loved the first few seasons of walking dead and I think we got up to maybe season six and it just it just went off the boil and we yeah. we'd done the same we just said like we can't keep can't do it. Wasting, wasting our time watching Can't this now. It. I think I was exactly the same time. Um, well, let's talk about football then. So right at the beginning, I'm quite excited because we got ourselves a Devoner on the pod because the problem with talking to so many people is I say the same bloody anecdotes, but I went to university in Plymouth uh, around about the same time as you were sort of playing football early on. So we'll go back to when you were younger, though. Who did you support and who were your childhood heroes? So uh, I supported Plymouth as a kid. I had a season ticket from about the age of maybe 12 to about 14, two or three seasons. Um, I watched them on and off as I was coming through when I was a kid. My dad used to take me up to games and stuff. Um, I also supported Arsenal um, as a kid. Strange one, really, because my dad's from Newcastle, so my dad's in He's a big Newcastle United fan. My brother supported Newcastle United. My mum's from uh, Watford way. She's from Hertfordshire. So she's, she supports Tottenham London club. And yeah, I just took a shine to Arsenal when I was probably about 10 or 11 years old. Absolutely loved them. Is it because um, they were very, very good? Uh, not not particularly because it wasn't like I was a, like a diehard Arsenal fan. It was just they were one of my favourite clubs. I had shirts, I had Man United shirts, I had West Ham shirts. Um, but yeah, Arsenal were a team that I really enjoyed uh, watching when I was a kid, really. But as far as heroes go, from a young age, I just remember, I can't think it just drilled into me. Alan Shearer had to be my hero because of my dad. <laughs> um, but I love watching football as a kid. I mean, even going to watch my brother play down the park, I absolutely loved it. It was, it was from a very young age, it was kind of, 
um, my favourite sport and absolutely loved it. Fantastic. So is this a Navy family given the... Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. my, my, dad, my dad was in the Navy and that's why we ended up, well, he ended up getting stationed down there and they've lived there for 30 years probably now. So they've kind of settled down there and made a family, friends, and they, they absolutely love it to be fair. Nice. I think, uh, where did I live in Plymouth? So I lived in Stonehouse, North Road mm. West, and I lived in Pennycombe Quick, right by Central Park. So, you know, Plymouth... one of my one of my best friends lives on North Road West now to oh, this day. Man, yeah, it's yeah. it's a, it can be a scary road depending on which <laughs> one you're be. on. <laughs> it, it can be depending what end you're at. Yeah, 100%. exactly. I, I was on the student side, so it wasn't too mm. bad. But yeah, I, I used to live right by this pub, and this pub was. It used to be a house, I think, and you could probably only fit about three people in there. And mm. I lived, you know, right next to it, and we never went in, and we didn't fall for the free shot for every uh, <laughs> for every goal scored during the World Cup in two thousand and six because we feared that we'd get beaten if we <laughs> yeah. if we went in. <laughs> what was your journey? So you're a Plymouth fan with with the add-ons as well. Um, what are your memories of playing football in Plymouth as a kid? I mean, did you do what the rest of us did and all the people that I've spoke to previously? They start as a forward and make their way backwards or have you always been a defender? No, I I was I used to play centre midfield. Oh, that's um, not too bad. Yeah, until I was until I went to Plymouth really at, at 15 um I played centre centre mid for what was since I really started to 6 7 years old. Uh played local football all the way through. Um, kind of got offered trials here and there as I was coming through from about the age of 11 or 12 and just never really fancied going and doing the whole proper football club. I just always wanted to keep playing with my friends on a Saturday. Uh, a lot of my friends had been for trials and they'd had year contracts and get released. And at a young age, I remember looking at my friends and thinking it, it kind of took their toll on them, even from the age of 12, 13. You're not good enough at that age. So I just wanted to keep playing my friends and join it. And then uh, when I, when I went into year 11 at school, um, I had the opportunity to, to go in for a trial again. And I, I said to myself, this is probably the only opportunity I'm going to get. So it was me and my friend, actually, um, Matty Wright, who... I played local football with, went on trial, both sent midfielders, thought we were going for the same position. He ended up getting lobbed up front. I ended up getting lobbed at the back. And um, we both got signed on until we were 16. So we got signed on a year contract. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, once I, well, initially when they pushed me back to, to defence, I was I had the ump a bit. I was like, the same for me. <laughs> I want to be scoring goals. I want to be taking people on. But, I kind of took to it really well. I think I was learning so much in that position in the first initial three, four months. And uh, the coaches there were fantastic with me. They understood that I, I needed to learn that position. So um, very fortunate with the coaches I had there at the time. And uh, Stuart Gibson, who was the under-18 manager, was incredible with me. So um, just very fortunate to have had those people around me when I first went there. Yeah, it's a really tough part of the country to sort of find yourself within a football setup and it's interesting that that you weren't really concerned until your mid-teens about doing that because down there unless your parents do the 
ultimate amount of commitment. You've only really got Plymouth, Exeter and Torquay, mm. haven't you? So it's it's generally tough unless unless of parents sacrificing their time. Um, mm. I mean, what is the scouting network like down there? Are there sort of other clubs lurking around watching or is it really just those three? No, it's, it's literally so limited. And it, I think even to this day, it's still quite poor, to be honest, because I feel like a lot of players in that southwest region kind of get forgotten about. There's not, like you said, I mean... Exeter in the last few years, their their youth system is picked up, and Plymouth has always been okay. Um, but apart from that, there's not that many opportunities. You've got Bristol Rovers and Bristol City, which are from Plymouth. It's two hours up the line. It's quite away, and um, there was players even through the my age groups from a couple of years above below that so many players got overlooked. I'm sure and and missed out on opportunities to to make a career of it because there were players much more technically gifted than I was or players who were better than I was that just never had that opportunity or a person to take a chance on them. So I feel like there could always be more done, especially down that part of the world, because there, there's there's players down there that would definitely have made careers if they had had the chance. Yeah. So when you're, when you're in the Plymouth setup, were there any others that, I mean, I mean, thinking about your age, this is your Round about the Dan Gosling era, aren't you? Yeah, um, so he was, you... he was, he was. I think he was a year above me, or maybe um, he might have been. I think he might have been one of the younger ones in the year above yeah. me. So Gos was um, when I was sixteen. He was definitely a first year scholar, or maybe a second year scholar. Yeah, um, and obviously gone on to have a fantastic <laughs> career. Yeah, um, um, I think Ryan Leonard, um, Joe or... Mason, who I, I, I mean, I've known Joe since we were about the age of ten. We played against each other, and um, he's had a few injuries in the last few years, but also again another fantastic career. Yeah, this this era because this is this era two thousand. I mean, I was living down down there between two thousand four two thousand seven, and this is the championship era for Plymouth. And mm. if I'm honest, during that time where you're thinking it's um, it's Williamson, Poulis, um, Ian Holloway, they they didn't really use youth players that much during that time. I would say. Um, for better, for for worse. Mm. What what was your experiences of playing for Plymouth Youth? I absolutely loved it. I, it was such a new experience for me. Like I said, I had gone from playing Saturday football from the age of six or seven all the way up to 15. And then you got thrown into this. You're training twice a week. You're doing an, another gym session. So you're training three times a week. <clears throat> and then... At that time, our under-16s got pushed into playing in the under-18s league. The under-18s were playing in what is the Southwestern League, which is what the men's league was down there. So local men's league. Um, so we were playing at 15, 16 years old. We were pushed up playing against youth teams. And we were going all over the Southwest up to London. And in the, I can't remember what the league was called. Obviously, it's like a Central Excellence League because it's not an academy. And, and we used to play against first and second year scholars which was brilliant and if you were performing well in those games you then got pushed in with the under 18s to play against uh in the men's league in the in the local football in Plymouth which was which was great and it kind of it made you grow up a little bit quicker than you may have if you're playing against people your own age so it was I think they they really 
they probably done the right thing in terms of pushing ourselves, especially at 15, 16 years old, to, to be playing every Saturday against uh, against youth teams, against 17, 18-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it at this point where you start working alongside David, well, Budgie Byrne? Mm. Is it around this time? Because Budgie's been on, on the pod. He, yeah. he, he talks about that time and he talked about very briefly about the time when you were released um, and how upset you were at, at that moment. What What is it like as a Plymouth fan to be there really enjoying it and then it not work out? It was, it was super tough, to be fair, because um, I mentioned Stuart Gibson before, who he was the under-18 manager, and we had, I'd been there maybe four or five months. They had made me captain of the what was the under-16s and was doing fantastic, was really enjoying it, loving the opportunity, and they had verbally agreed to give me a scholarship at the, at the end of that season. Um, there was a few of us. There was probably three or four of us. You brought, you've been, you're going to get a scholarship, two-year YTS. This is your opportunity to go and play, play for Plymouth. Um, Stuart Gibson left to go manage a, a team over in Sweden. I think uh, new youth team manager comes in around February time, um, and we literally had a week's intensive training over maybe one of the half terms and. From then, he just literally he cut the whole squad down. He brought a load of lads in from up north. Where just... We went into a meeting room. I remember sat down with my mum, and they were waffling on for about 10 minutes. And I remember looking at my mum thinking, he's waffling too much. This isn't good. This is, this is definitely bad news. And they told me that I basically told me I wasn't good enough. He was a little bit harsh. Um, and it hurt. I remember crying my eyes out the whole way home and going into school the next day and a lot of people, teachers and friends expected me to, to get a contract because I'd done so well that year for them. Um, and then to have to tell people who were expecting good news that no, it's actually, uh, I'm not going to be playing for Plymouth next year. And it, 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 at that age, you, especially being from Plymouth and like we spoke about before, the opportunities for other clubs aren't they're few and far between. There's not many out there that you can think, right, I've just been released from Plymouth. Where do I go now? And uh, I thought it was over, to be honest, that initial period. And I was lucky enough, like you spoke literally the day after, or a couple of days after I'd been released, called me up and said, if you don't go on trial to any other clubs, I'll give you a two-year YTS right now. So I snapped his hand off and <laughs> said, I'll, I'll come and sign it whenever you want me to. I'm, I'm there. I like that. It's like, yeah, go on for trial, but I've got a contract here right for you. So, you know, that's that's the way you negotiate. I I think it's really tough for youth players and kids when when they get that that rejection. And Mm. I'm blown away by the fact that this guy was was so cutting. And it's also, you would have been... That's Sean. He plays for Argyle. You know that that's something that to go into school and then have to say, oh, it's not worked out." And everyone mm. looks up to you, like the kids in the years below, and you know, teachers thinking that they might get comp tickets in the future <laughs> <laughs> and things like that. And suddenly you you've got nothing. But it was a quick turnaround mm. between Plymouth and Swindon. So how did how did it work out then? Was it a case of just moving up to Diggs in Swindon? So that would have been around probably March, April time that 
Budgie had offered me to come up and have a two-year YTS. So I finished out my school year, done my exams, and then I think I'd, I'd, I'd been up there a few times in that few month period and I'd been I think I played in maybe a couple um youth team games and maybe one I think I played in a reserve game against Bristol Rovers or Bristol City at the county ground um literally driven up in the day with my mum and dad played the game driven back home all the next day and um it was actually it's actually funny I don't know if anyone's I don't know if Budge spoke about it or or if you've had nut, nutty on but I um, driven up to Chelsea for a youth team. I think it was the first game I played uh, once Budgie'd offered me the two-year scholarship. And so we'd driven up from left Plymouth at about six in the morning, driven up the M4, got to uh, Chelsea's training ground. Nervous the whole way, absolutely shit in my pants because I'm thinking, I don't think I'm good. Like for me, I'd never been to a proper training ground like Chelsea's and turn up and there's a million pitches these kids are like giants they're like eight foot tall absolute beasts of 16 17 year olds and i'm shitting myself and i've literally turned up right this is what we're doing sean you're playing at the back with i can't remember who i played with but i remember frank newball who i played with later on for he was playing for chelsea at the time absolutely tore me a new one like i had the biggest nightmare you've ever seen for about 25 minutes the ball was coming to me it was going under my foot I was taking a touch I was kicking it out of play and I remember like I think like I think Callum played in that game and they must have been looking at me like what the fuck this kid is rubbish like what are they we're, we're meant to be signing this kid and I, I think Nutbar rang Budgie at half time and said Mate, are you for real? Like we're gonna we're we're giving this kid a two year scholarship. He's absolutely pants. Like there's no chance. Um, they took me off at half time, threw me back back on about seventy minutes. Had the worst ten minutes ever again, and got dra- dragged off again. Drove then had to drive all the way back home, back to Plymouth from Chelsea or from Cobham. Didn't say a word to my mum and dad the whole time. Just sat in the back thinking, I am way off it here. <laughs> it was a bad bad day. Did it, was it the case of every time the phone rang, you were like, "This is it. This is this yeah. is this is the message." <laughs> and to be fair, Budgie Budgie stuck with me, and he he he'd watched me enough in that first year at Plymouth to to know that if or what I was capable of, or what he thought I was capable of. So it gave me a little bit of a boost knowing that I could have that bad. <laughs> still get looked after <laughs> yeah i mean how how influential is budgie in, in the in the grander scheme of your career oh huge for me personally i mean i think he's done lots for certain people of in that period that i was at swindon he, he, he helped a lot of young boys out coming through and but for me personally was was massive i think without him um definitely during morris malpass's time um, probably give me a little a little foot up in getting into that first team kind of door and getting the chance. Without Budgie being there, that might not not have ever happened. Um, and he he really kind of he was harsh on me. He he was a tough taskmaster, especially on on I think the lads from Plymouth, especially I think the likes of me, Joycey and, and Ben Toza, We we kind of 
we really got told sometimes. And I think that will come from a place of love and a care where he wanted to push us as hard as he could because he knew we had it in us. And um, definitely the first year or so that Budgie, I was in the youth team, he, he really pushed me to excel, to try and be the best I could be. Yeah, so you, you arrive at the same time as Ben Tozer and um, and Ben Joyce. And is it Seb Broomfield as well? Was he... He was in the setup, I, or I think Seb come maybe the year after. The year after, okay. So, yeah. do you all rock up at the same time then, the three of you? Yeah. So we literally all three of us sign at the same same time. Um, to, toes was obviously a year, both of them were a year older, so they were actually second year scholars when when they first signed. Um, I went to school with Joycey, played with him at Plymouth, and obviously Toad as well. But it was it was it was nice for us, I think, to have each other when we first initially signed because a lot of the lads that were already there had been together for quite a few years uh, in the setup. So to rock up on your first day and have uh, a friendly face in the change room definitely made life a little bit easier. Joyce is fighting now, isn't he? MMA or something like that. I think he's doing. Um, uh, Thai kickboxing yeah, or that like Muay Thai. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's 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 uh he's always been into his boxing and his MMA and stuff like that, Joycey. So I think he. I haven't seen his fights or anything, but I know he was training for for a fight. I think. Yeah. How how did the setup compare to Plymouth? So when you when you were still in the youth team, was it was it very similar? Um. I think it was. I think it was more more professional. I don't know if it's because we had stepped up from that under sixteen level, then pushed your kind of full time in that youth team environment, um, and you're expected to be professional. You're expected to do your job. You're expected to to almost look after the first team and kind of clean boots, clean the dressing rooms, and you get him that level of discipline as well. And um, that first pre-season was the hardest pre-season I've ever done in my whole life it will never get harder than that I remember Budgie was getting so Paul Sturrock was telling him the runs the first team were doing hmm. so the first team would get Paul Sturrock would relay back to Budgie right this is what the first team's runs are today Budgie would wouldn't write them down he would just listen to it try and take it in and then just make up his own shit for us and we'd end up doing like three or four more sets in the first team and we were doing double sessions every day and I remember literally getting out because I used to live with Ben Joy uh, Ben Toes when I first signed and I couldn't even get out of his car one day I couldn't walk to the front door I was that I was just in a pickle for weeks because I was I'd never known anything like it in my life but it, it put us in good stead I guess because since then I've, I've always that's been the worst pre-season and nothing's ever come close to that <laughs> um, before we get into the first team and the journey to that you know when you when you get I don't know if you consider it a second chance with Swindon after what happened at Plymouth I personally am you know there's a percentage of me that's driven by spite and having been given the sort of criticism that you mm. got from your new coach <clears throat> did that did that play a big part in you wanting to establish yourself as a professional footballer massively still to this day does still that 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 meeting i would literally that will live with me to the day i die i'll never forget the way he told me the way me and my mum were sat there both waiting for him to say you're getting released 
but just having to take on board criticism that probably didn't need to be said or it could have been said in a different way. That that would live with me forever. And that, that did drive me on, especially in the first year or so afterwards. It was a, a real big driving force in terms of I need to go and prove people wrong. I need to show that I am better than what this person thought about me. Um, and that has been a driving force throughout my whole career, whether it's been um, local journalists or people that say you aren't good enough. And that that there will always drive me on to try and, like I said, be the best version that I can be. I'm, I'm never going to be uh, Maldini. I'm never going to be the, the, the next Virgil van Dijk. But I will always try and be the best version of myself and, and give it my all. Did you ever get an apology? No, never. I never spoke to... Uh, I never... There was two guys. I never... Uh, literally never spoke to them again. I, I seen one of them um, when Swindon played Plymouth. We played them in the FA Cup and beat them 4-0 and I scored the first goal. And I remember... That day, I remember thinking, we have to win this game. <laughs> this is the first time I've been back to Plymouth. And... We, no matter what happens, we have to win this because I knew they were both going to be there. I was going to be playing. My friends and family were going to be there. Like, we had to beat Plymouth that day and we will end up winning 4-0. I think it was the FA Cup second round, third round. Um, and we won 4-0 on our score. And I remember thinking after the game, I'm just so happy because I know I've seen him in the stand <laughs> and I could get a little one up on him after he made me cry my eyes out like a baby two years previous. <laughs> <laughs> Morrison reaches it. That is a wonderful header. And that may just have sealed the game for Swindon Town, who once again have not chosen up there to clean off their feet of the valley. What are your memories of beginning to being integrated into the first team at Swindon? It was that it was that youth team cup run we had when I was in my first year, which was kind of the the first initial part of oh we might have a chance here. Like our, our youth team done really well that year. I think we lost to Charlton in maybe the last round of sixteen. John Joe Shelby scored two of the best volleys I've ever seen. And he, he was literally still in school. It was incredible. Uh, but we got pumped that day. We lost Ben Tozer as well in in that January. Uh, to Newcastle, which was he was a massive part of our our, our squad then. Um, so yeah, we we done really well in the in the youth cup, and I think about I think there was seven of us got offered um, what would be classed as a, a trainee contract, first team trainee contract, um, and then that was that was just the first kind of real big opportunity, right? They put a bit of trust in us. They've all given us an extra year on our contracts, but. Even after that, it was never really right. You're going to be training with the first team week in, week out. It was just kind of you would in and out of training if they needed numbers. Played a few reserve games, and um, I think me and Callum at that point were, were getting pushed probably a little bit more than a few of the other boys. And uh, we travelled to to games as the twentieth man. You'd travel to away games, be in the hotels. Uh, not being on the bench and stuff. But I remember, I think my first game on the bench was Leighton Orient uh, away. Uh, Got my squad number, which was huge for me. I remember even then just Budgie was taking the piss out of me in the change room, actually saying how nervous I was because my my squad number and my shirt was up on the the hanger. 
Um, but obviously didn't come on that day. But that was the first kind of when you started traveling with the team and you were around them a lot more and you kind of were integrated into the group and the older players started to trust you and, and get to know your character. And, and we were very lucky at that period in time with the squad we had um, who were very welcoming to young players and, and kind of a lot of us got taken under older, older players' wings and they, they really did look after us at that time. So the, the boys that were coming through were very fortunate with, with that first team group we had. And of course, the manager at this point is Maris Malpass, isn't it? Mm. Which, yeah. is, which is interesting because most of the people from this era that I've talked to were there before or in the first team or playing games before Morris took over. What were your experiences of Morris Malpass? I absolutely loved him. I thought he was, I thought he was a, a brilliant for a young player coming through. I thought he was fantastic for me. He, he, he was quite quiet. He didn't that much he lost his temper a few times I remember in in change rooms big metal tins around and throwing boots around but on a day-to-day basis he was quite a calm character and he used to pull me to the side and and speak to me and tell me what he expected of me this was before I'd even played a first team game he used to try and drill into me the the fundamentals that he wanted from me as a as a center half and he, he, like Budgie did, used to push me to to try and be better and and try and get to that level that I needed to be at for him to to trust putting me into a first team situation. Yeah, well, let's talk about that day because it only came after a couple of appearances as an unused sub, or not appearance. You were unused sub a couple of times, mm-hmm. and then you're a sub again for the game against Ginningham, which for Swindon fans of a certain vintage, it's a very important game. Mm. It's one of those odd rivalries which was sparked in the 70s and 80s and it's never really gone away. Um, it's away at Ginningham and in the first half, Jarrell yeah. Eiffel gets gets injured and in comes Sean Morrison. So, <laughs> I mean, anyone that makes their debut really from the bench, you're kind of thinking it's going to be in the 88th minute, you know, mm. run around like a headless chicken for a couple of minutes and then go, right, it's done. I've got it. And now you can you can build on that. But you're brought on with still over 10 minutes left in the first half. Do you remember getting that call to go and warm up? Yeah, I remember the, the day, really. I remember getting to the game and uh, we'd done the warm up and Jarrell's come up to me in the change room before the game and said to me, look, Sean, be ready because I can feel my hamstring. My hamstring's quite tight. So already I'm absolutely shit in my pants. I'm like, cheers, Jarrell. Cheers to that, buddy. Um, so the first 10 minutes, I'm just like eyes on Jarrell, watching him thinking, please don't get injured, Jarrell. Like, I, I don't, don't, it was boiling hot day. And I was thinking like, nervous. And I can't remember if it was a slide tackle or he's gone to, it was kind of in the middle of the pitch or in the middle of our half. And he's gone down and I remember uh, Morris Malpais just turned to me and was like go warm up and Callum I've looked at Callum and Callum's looked at me and we've both just gone shit like what do we do so I just took off and started sprinting up and down the touchline at Gillingham like a headless chicken thinking oh no I'm coming on it oh no done about three or four, done about three or four doggies as quick as I could I was absolutely blowing should never have done it because I was knackered and I remember just looking and Budge, I think Budgie or Morris was waving me up. Come on. I didn't have my shin pads on. I was rushing around, putting my shin pads on. 
and I think Callum's threw me my top and I'll never forget this. So as I've taken off my warm-up top, I am white as a ghost as well, by the way, not seeing one bit of sun that whole spring. And as I've put on my shirt, stood by the touchline, uh, a Gillingham fan from behind our bench, I've not played a single minute of a first-team football ever in my life. So as I've pulled on the Morrison shirt, some guy in the background just going, oh, no, not that Morrison. He's fucking shit. <laughs> and my arse just fell out. I was like, oh, no. I've not even played a minute of first-team football, and this guy already knows I'm shit. Like, how, what's going to happen? Um, but, yeah, I've, I've, I've went on. I remember just... I was so drained after the game because I was concentrating that much. I was just, I, I barely said a word. I wasn't speaking. So I think played next to Hasney. I wasn't speaking. I was just literally focused, right? Do your job, do your job, do your job. And and fortunately enough, I had a pretty okay game. I think I, I got an assist for our header from a corner, um, which Hasney, I think Hasney scored. But it, was, it wasn't a bad debut. I didn't set the world on fire, but I was just steady Eddie, which I was really happy with, which then led on to my full debut the week after. Yeah, 86 minutes of them leading and then Hasney scores with a couple of minutes to go. And of course, you would have been in the Plymouth setup when he was down there as well and a hugely mm. popular player. So it would have been a nice bit of a symmetry for you, I imagine. Mm, yeah, I used to watch. I remember watching... I actually hasn't he played and I went to watch them. I think it was when they got promoted from League One to the Championship. What I don't think even think it was called the Championship at the time, but they beat. I think they beat Bristol Rovers or they drew with Bristol Rovers. Mickey Evans scored a goal and hasn't he played in that team? They got promoted. So uh, yeah, I used to. You, I always used to joke about watching him play. Um, I used to sit in the stands and watch him, and then to make my first team debut alongside someone I used to watch was a, it was it was wicked to be fair it's really cool. when you sort of like you come in right at the end of that season do you think to yourself oh man I wish there were like five ten games left or you just like I'll take that game and a half and go away and get yeah, better I think I think probably the latter I think you I had I never expected to have made my debut in that first year scholar that I was there i I had a bit of a slow start the first few months and then it picked up after Christmas and was fortunate enough to to worm my way in and work hard to get an opportunity. And once I'd made my full debut the week after and I played just over a game and a half and I'd done, I remember I played against, um, I think Bass Savage was who I was up against most of that day. Um, Done pretty well against him and and we'd won the game and I think it was just nice to have right I've I've shown that I can do it at a first team level the manager probably has a lot more trust and faith in me now I can go away over the summer now and work 10 times harder and hopefully come pre-season be with the first team on on a more permanent basis and and that's what happened I I, I come back and and Bowden was youth team manager at the time and I'd done my first day uh, with the youth team and I remember coming in the day after and I was in the, the away change room which was the youth team changing room at the county ground and um, I think Budgie's, Budgie walked in and said like, in, in his way obviously what the are you doing in here <laughs> and I was like what do you mean what am I doing in here I'm a second year scholar this is my change room and he said no you're you're in with the first team now and literally picked up my kit picked up my boots and that was it then I, I, I was in that first team dressing room until until the day I left amazing 
Bass Savage is a uh, is a blast from the past. I always felt sorry for him because of that hilarious uh, falling over incident that he had when he was at Bristol City, which you know mm. is one of the downsides <coughs> of uh, everything being televised. Now, this is where my first memories, really, or my lasting memories of you, start to appear because that summer, I think it was either the advertiser or in one of the programs or whatever, they did like a feature on each player, which included their nicknames and your nickname will always stand out because it it was something to do with Romans because you look like this, the busts, you know, this, what can you remember? I think it was cause I, cause I have, I have naturally curly hair. <laughs> I had, honestly, the amount of nicknames I had coming through of 15, 16 years old, boys used to call me Screech, um, Callum, <laughs> Ca- Callum used to come up with all sorts. Um, with, the mullet, with the mullet that he had? I know, he had the worst trim I've ever seen at 16 years old, ever. Um, but mine, because it was, I don't, I don't know what, back then, like, I just used to leave it, I didn't used to put any product in it, it was just a big mop on top of my head, and... Uh, yeah, they used to call me all sorts of lads. I can't really remember. I used to get called like totem pole head because <laughs> I had a big, because I've got a big fat head. Uh, but yeah, Callum used to come up with all sorts of me. Any anyone anyone that was remotely had a large head or curly hair, I was named after. Yeah, it, it was in relation to those Roman busts because they have that, yeah. that really sort of tight, curly hair. Yeah. And the picture they put alongside you was just like, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, <laughs> that, that's exactly um, what <laughs> Sean looks like. So, I mean, that, that pre-season, you get to go on a nice little trip of Austria, don't you? I think, is that the Fenerbahce year? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was the first year, yeah. And had you ever done those sort of tours before? Was that was that, was that new no, to you? No, was, that was my first. I mean... As a kid, I think I went abroad once as a kid at about 12. Our local team, we went to Italy and played, um, which was fantastic. But to do it on a, a professional level with much higher structure to training and a real goal at the end of it and play your pre-season games and to play against, like we did Roberto Carlos and the players they had in that Fernabachi team. Um, was amazing because I think I only played maybe 10 minutes of that game but to just watch it um, and to be part of it was 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 fantastic yeah I remember when I was down in Plymouth they played Real Madrid during one of their mm. during one of their tours and it was essentially the second team but Fenerbahce went all out in that yeah. televised and there there we are with our numberless lotto t-shirts yeah. <laughs> Basically, it was like we had the training kit with numbers on. Yeah, did they even have numbers on the back? It might be just the front, wasn't it? I, think. I don't think. I don't think we did. I don't think we did have any numbers on. Um, but I remember the uh, Roberto Carlos that game. I just remember watching him, thinking this guy, and he must have been thirty, mid thirties at that point. Easily, yeah. And he was an absolute machine of a man, and his technique, his passing. He was the best player on the pitch by a country mile from left back. And we were just all in awe of him. To be fair, I think Billy Painter got his shirt after the game as well. Ah, uh, there we Classic. go. Yeah, 
the queue would have been mm. something. But there were a few decent players in that uh, in that Fener team. Obviously not a uh, not to the sort of maybe standard. I think Kejman who played for Chelsea, uh, yeah, uh, Lugano played in that as well. He was a decent player. Yeah, mm. plenty going on. So is it what what point do you become like? I mean, I've talked to a fair few people from this era, and you, Kurt Hammonds, Billy Painter, always highlighted as amongst the more entertaining members of the dressing room at what point do you go from that second year scholar I shouldn't be in here to the I'm sure Morrison loud part of it getting stuck in I don't really know when it happens to be honest I think this is what I said about the that group of first team players we were so lucky that they there was no grudges or if you you slowly try to be yourself, you'd maybe crack a joke or you try and hammer one of the older boys. And they were so accepting of that. They wanted you to do that. And players like Billy, Pookie, um, Eastie, Lee Peacock, Hasney, all these players who we all looked up to as young lads, they, they almost brought that out of us. It was almost, you need to be yourself. You need to... If you want to say something to me, hammer me and make a joke about me, I'm going to hammer you back, but you're going to be accepted into this group. Um, so almost nurtured it out of us. They almost let us be a part of that first team group dynamic much quicker than maybe it would have happened in a different group. So, like I said, we were very fortunate that they allowed us to be really young, gobby <laughs> kids that hadn't done much but we were just being ourselves and then in turn that that give us that confidence to to probably be able to play better train better because once you trust people you that you know what it's like you you end up uh building bonds with each other yeah i think the standout player that that season is obviously simon cox and the reason why i highlight that because again despite talking to so many people from this era we don't really acknowledge Simon Cox's season two seasons enough as fans and I think the reason for that is because Billy and Charlie Austin had such a great season immediately after Simon left Mm. it's kind of been forgotten but what a player he was insane and I played with Coxie later on at Reading for for a little bit but that when he first signed for, for Swindon, he just hit the ground running. He was incredible. Some of the goals he scored that year, he scored a goal. I can't remember who it was against at home, but it's, it's probably still the best goal I've ever seen live. I think Lil Nallis literally just hooked one over his head. And as it was coming over Cox's head, he's running onto it. He's literally took a touch up with his right foot and then volleyed it from about 25, 30 yards over the goalkeeper. I think he scored three hat tricks that season as well. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think we won one of those games, did we? Um, no. I think, I, think <laughs> I was at, I was at Hartlepool Way where we were three 0 up. Um, he scored one at Northampton. I think we might have won that four three. Yeah, and he scored one at Scunthorpe as and well. That was three three, wasn't it? Yeah, because yeah. I remember, I remember, I played in all three of those games, and I remember thinking. Coxie can't score for another hat trick and we lose this game or we draw this game. This is going to be a disgrace. And uh, but he must—I don't know how many goals he scored that year. But... Twenty-nine in the league, wasn't it? I think. Which is yeah, it's incredible. Do. Yeah, I'll do. Yeah, yeah. That Hartlepool game—I'll <laughs> never forget it. Really, it was a, it was a, 
I think we were 3-1 up with about eight minutes to go and Porter got his hat trick. But the reason I remember that is because I was subject to some banking fraud. So I spent half of the second half, almost all of it, on the phone to my bank trying to sort it <laughs> while like, it's getting really, you know, you're getting frustrated and things like that. And yeah. One by one, these goals are going in. So I, I took the call 3-0 up and finished no, the call at 3-3 three, no. three, and it was well, I was living up in Newcastle at the time so it wasn't exactly a trek to Hartlepool but it, it was still the uh, the principle of it I felt, <laughs> yeah. I felt like it, I was being stitched right up this season this is meant to be your second year as a scholar and you spend most of the the campaign in the first team which is insane and again I always harp back to those voices from a year or two years before so you're doing it you're third tier footballer you, you you're there you've got to, you know keep working but you, you're establishing yourself but it's a difficult season for Swindon isn't it that mm. Morris Malpass went through a really really tough time at the end there and you know he almost certainly should have walked or gone before he did but I just really I mean I felt sorry for Morris Malpass because I had his poster on my wall as a kid, so I had a soft spot for mm. him. You know, when, like you said, when you're a kid, you, you just idolise whoever's in the magazine and, you know, mm. whoever's on TV. And, you know, it it didn't work. It, it rarely sort of looked like it was going to work. But just the way it just it just felt like a long drawn out affair before yeah. before it did end after the Histon game, after the Brighton in the Cup, once we were all out. How tough is that for you as a, as a young professional to 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 witness that for the first time? Yeah, it's hard to really remember too much about it. I remember us finding out as players that he had left and he was gone. And then I remember, <clears throat> did Budgie take over for a little period then? Yeah. yeah. So two, three, four weeks, whatever it was, he took over a, a period of games, a few games. And... Um, I think he actually took me out of the the squad when Morris left. I'm sure he pulled me to the side and said, "Look, I'm I'm going to leave you out for a few games." Which at the time I did not understand. I I was I want to play. I want to play. Uh, but in hindsight, it was probably the best thing because as a club we were going through a difficult period, and he wanted to play the more experienced boys who had probably been through that a lot more times than I had, and. It was, I didn't know what to expect. Is the new manager who comes in, is he going to like me? Is he going to want to be able to put me in the squad? Is he going to want to play me? So you're always unsure. Even to this day, you're always unsure when new managers come in, whether they're going to take to you as a person or as a player. So at, I would have been maybe 17, almost 18 years old when he left. Um and you, like I said, you're unsure of how the situation is going to unfold after doing so well for a few months. Um, but really, probably Budgie looked after me at the time without me even knowing about it. Yeah. Regardless of what the fans think as well, for you and your career, Malpass is the guy who gave you your debut. And mm. I mean, I think you're something like the 14th youngest goal scorer in Swindon's history and things mm. like that. So that you can't replace that, can you? He could have been the worst manager known to the history of mankind, but he's the guy that gave you all of those yeah, sort of opportunities. Exactly. And that's whether I got on with him or whether the squad got on with him or when things didn't work out, which they obviously didn't. He he was the guy that really gave me a foot up and gave me an opportunity to, to, to do what I do now. And 
without him, who's to say that I would even be here as still playing to this day? You, 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 I probably wouldn't, to be honest. You never know what happened. You see so many young players come out of the game between those ages of 18 to 20 years old. Um, and if I hadn't have had that opportunity at such a young age, I, I might not be playing to this day still. Yeah. Well, after what felt like the longest caretaker spell in history, mm. um, well over a month, <laughs> I think it was, um, Danny mm. Wilson comes in around Boxing Day, certainly around Christmas time. And I mean, to be fair, Danny Wilson, he's a been there, done that manager, and he was firefighting um, for the start of his Swindon mm. career. So you, you sort of disappear until around about February, March time, don't mm. you? And And by that point, it's looking better for Swindon, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what, when Budgie first took me out of the squads, I remember being really a, a bit gutted, really, because I thought um, I was building on something here. But when I look back at it now, it was 100% the right thing to do. Uh, we needed a bit of stability. And a 17-year-old kid that's played 20 games in, in league football isn't the guy you want to look to when, when backs are against the wall. So, um, yeah, I remember Danny coming in, and I know it was around that, Christmas period kind of winter because I remember I think his first training session we were actually up the dome in um, Supermarine yeah we were up the dome up there inside and um, I really love the way he was he was talking to the lads the way he communicated between the group and and his ideas going forward so that period there where I wasn't playing for that January February March time was a chance for for me to work on my game and become better and try and adapt to a new manager now. I've got to try and everything that Morris wanted me to be as a centre-half, I need to try and adapt to what now Danny wants me to be or what he expects centre-halves to be. So that was a good period for me to really start working hard and, and trying to prove to him that I was hungry to, to get back in the first team. Yeah, and, and obviously loan first but Gordon Greer comes in at this time mm. who yes is competition but he must have been a, a huge influence someone to learn from during that time oh Gordy's one of still to this day one of the best captains I've played for I don't think I appreciated him as much as I do now when I was there on the pitch he just demanded the highest standards off of everyone and if you weren't if you weren't at his standards which were he was a fantastic player technically brilliant great defender if you weren't at the standards that that he was he would tell you and at 17 18 that can be a bit scary and you sometimes think do i deserve this but we're playing a men's game he he wants to win he's a winner and, and he expects all of us on that pitch to be winners and um to, it probably wasn't even after i left or I appreciate really how how much I learn off Gordon uh, of what kind of captain that you expect or what I would maybe try and be down the line. You're a captain now yourself at Cardiff. Do you take? Did you take much of what you learned from him in your current role? Uh, bits and bobs. Uh, definitely, uh, the drive and desire to win definitely comes from from that period. And I've always had it in me. I've always I've always been a winner. I've always wanted to win, and I've always wanted to do the best I can. I can do um, and whenever I'm in a in a team whether that be Swindon Huddersfield Reading Cardiff I always want to try and give it my all and 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 do the best I can do for the team and the, and the, the end game that we are trying to push towards so definitely from that, those aspects I think Gordon was was hugely influential on me 
Um, but then the likes of uh, Joby McEnough, who uh, I was under at Reading as captain, another fantastic captain, and David Marshall, who was captain here when I first signed for Cardiff. And trying to take bits and bobs off of everyone, not even fellow captains, but players who are inspirational or have fantastic traits on and off the pitch. You try and just kind of grab a little bit of everyone and try and fix it to what kind of person you are as well. Rose deliver on this occasion. Oh, it's a wonderful header, and Swindon have the lead. Thanks to Sean Morrison. Blood, blood, it's red blood in the West Country derby. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC official supporters club. So the following season is a big one for for the club. It's almost very successful, but you take more of a back seat during this campaign. Mm. Was that frustrating at the time? Yeah, it was uh, hugely frustrating because I think I started that season. Yeah. I think Scotty Cuff, but did Scotty come in that summer? He did, yeah. Who, Scotty, who I absolutely loved and still do love, but he was, he was, as a player, he was, he was way better than I was at the time. He, he if I was a manager, I probably would have been playing him and Gordon together as well. But, um, yeah, because you have that initial, that first season where I don't know, maybe 20 games, 25 games, and and then you go into a following season and you're not starting off at the level you had the previous year. You feel like you've maybe taken a step back or you're going backwards in your development. So, um, yeah, I found it hard. I, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself that season. I remember thinking uh, when things weren't going great, I was getting on top of myself and maybe the pressures of, of not doing as well as I thought I should have been doing got to me a little bit. And it was a big learning curve. It was a big learning period for me that season. And uh, once again, it's another lesson that I've learned in my career that's probably pushed me on to do better. Yeah, it's one of those downsides of not being a first-team centre-back because, you know, centre-backs aren't usually utilised unless there's an injury. You're trying to see out a game. And that doesn't really happen for you, and you're on the bench for ages of it. Of course, you go out on loan during that time. Mm. South End it wasn't very long. Did you did you pick up much from that? So it was it's funny actually. I remember sitting in my digs, um, which I was in my digs the whole time I was in Swindon. The lady I lived with, Ruth, was the most. She's like my second mum, most incredible person ever. Proper looked after me, and um, I was sat in the living room, and I think we were watching telly or something, and. Uh, got a phone call from my agent at the time South End want to take you on loan and I was like I don't I, I initially it was like oh my god I've got to be a whole new group of <laughs> men who aren't going to know me am I going to play there I'm not playing here is it going to be worth my time am I going to go as a backup player am I going to be sitting on the bench at South End is that going to be a great thing for my my career and me and me and Billy Painter were meant to be going to the UFC in Manchester that weekend as well which was putting me off of it um, he'd called me two days before and said I've got VIP tickets to the UFC in Manchester do you want to go and I was like yes lads weekend away and then next thing you know I'm getting told I've got to go and loan the South End instead um, but I was that two months I was there was such an amazing time I absolutely loved it it was scary at the start I wasn't sure what to expect and it started off really really badly by the way so I <laughs> initially they were playing Yeovil. Um, so they said, look, we're going to, this was on like the Wednesday or Thursday. I got the call. They said, we'll pick you up from junction 15 at Swindon. 
So somebody had driven me to Junction 15, jumped out. I've got my boots, my shin pads. I've got just a regular tracksuit on. Literally, the bus pulls off the motorway onto the roundabout. Doors open. I fly in. Coach gets back on the motorway. I'm walking down the bus, this 17-year-old, 18-year-old kid, like big screech hair, looking like an absolute Muppet, walking down the back of the bus looking for a seat and sit down. Boys are fantastic. Uh, Adam Barrett, who was there, who was the club captain, was was fantastic to me. I went and sat down next to him, uh, done my initiation song that night, settled into the group really well, and then I get sent off after 30 minutes uh, on my debut. And then they drop me back off at Junction 15 on the way home. And I'm sat on, I'm literally stood on the edge of the motorway. These boys have known me for 24 hours and I've literally got sent off after 30 minutes of my debut. I remember Danny Wilson ringing me and he was like, what the hell happened? And I just said, I don't know. Like it wasn't a bad tackle. He just cut across me and the referee told me he was going to give me a yellow card and then he gave me a red card. Um, but my mum and dad refuse to go and watch me at Hewish Park now. If I ever play there, they will not come and watch because I've got, I've got injured there twice and I've got sent off there. And they've been every time it's happened. So they're like, no more. We yeah. cannot do it to ourselves. It's mileage, isn't it? Well, there we go. Mm. Um, highlights for you from that season, Swindon-wise. I mean, you scored the winner against Southampton, didn't you, early on? And the reason why I remember that is because... We we did have a good form against Southampton, but we have this sort of, in my mind, this history of when a, a big team turns up, we just sort of politely let them through us, you know, when and mm. and that's what the Wilson era, especially that season, that was what was so great because we were tonking teams like Leeds. And that you scored, in, you know, it's quite a rare thing sometimes that like you scored in front of over 10,000 for Swindon mm. and it was the winner and, and those sort of moments... Oh, they look like so much fun when you watch it from the stands when when you score mm. those goals. Yeah, well, that's actually probably... I, I can't remember, I've scored six or seven goals for Swindon and um, that's definitely one of my favourites. I remember, I think JP played the corner in, it was an outswinging ball and I've just lost my man and headed it from about the penalty spot and it's just kind of flew into that far goalkeeper's far right corner. And um, yeah, when, especially at that age, when a stadium's full and lot of noise coming out and we and we, like you said we beat we beat a team like Southampton who especially in in league one at the time were always going to be one of the favorites to get promoted so it was a yeah fantastic moment as were all my goals that that initial three and a half years of starting my career because everyone was just as special as the next it was uh an incredible feeling just being able to score professional goals yeah well we we made the playoffs that year beating Chell and you're suited up for that you, you're not in the squad but, <laughs> but you went on holiday straight after didn't you yeah I was a disgrace that day actually it was actually embarrassing I was like John Terry John Terry on steroids um it was yeah so I obviously the season had been very hit and miss in and out in and out in and out and playoff semi-final we win on penalties and the joy of just being, I, I loved that group of lads. That group of lads were one of the best group of lads you could go to work with day in, day out. They're incredible. So at the time, for me, I'm, I'm part of this. I don't care that I've got my club suit on. I'm doing Klinsmans. I'm running around the valley, sliding around on my knees, 
it's the only suit I own, by the way. I haven't got another suit. And I'm like, there is literally like my knees, my knees are literally covered in mud. My, my ties around my head. Amazing. And yeah, we, we end up getting back on the coach and we end up going back to a bar in Old Town. We had a lock-in or something and uh, JP literally said, there's a flight here to, to Marbella at five in the morning. And I kind of was like, yep. And Callum was like, yep. And we, I didn't, I didn't know what was happening. I was just expecting this thing just to be forgotten about. About half an hour later, JP comes over and he says, right, there's, there's free tickets there. We need to get to Bristol airport in the next two hours. And I was like, oh shit, this is really happening. So one of the media guys literally starts driving he drives to jp's house jp runs in grabs a bag flies back into the ta- into the car we drive to my digs i'm rummaging around at like two in the morning my digs lady's like what's going on i'm like i'm off to marbella <laughs> and i've literally i literally pack like two pairs of swimming shorts two pairs of boxers pair of flip-flops a couple of t-shirts toothbrush toothpaste both done literally back in the car next thing you know we're in bristol airport at four in the morning i've still got my club suit on callum definitely still has a picture of me on the plane i've got my tie on my head still i'm covered in like dry mud from charlton's pitch and we end up landing in marbella at, uh, about eight or nine in the morning and yeah we had to be fair it was it was a good few days to be fair it was nice because um I'd never been away on a holiday like that with, with, with people like JP and Callum. So it was, it was really cool to be fair. And obviously, obviously looking back, it wasn't, it wasn't the smartest thing to do. Um, <laughs> with a two week break before the, the Wembley final, but fortunate enough for me and Callum, we, we didn't play in that game. So, um, uh, it would have been nice to have capped that season off with a, with a promotion because it, it always, you get a vibe sometimes in squads and teams. You have this connection between lads and it goes a long way. Um, and I thought we were going to get promoted that year, and we obviously fell at the last hurdle, which was which was heartbreaking. But um, we, we didn't we didn't celebrate like it was a heartbreak. I think that was the that was the end of season party that got out of control. Yeah, happy anniversary! <laughs> I think that's ten years this week, wasn't it? As yeah, <laughs> Simon tagged me on Instagram. Um, there's a picture of me, me, him, and Billy with covered in foam, fire extinguishers. So yeah, ten years on, God time goes too quick because that was <laughs> looking back i remember that like it was yesterday it was uh yeah a mad day obviously you know the story about billy walking in and covering us with foam and next thing you know i'm sliding around naked on the floor with with covered in fire extinguisher foam <laughs> professionalism personified eh? yeah i've learned a lot <laughs> i've learned a lot from those days <laughs> um, I think the photo is less damning for you. You're in the background. You can deny the whole thing, but um... yeah, and I'm, I'm half covered in foam as well, exactly. so you can barely tell it's me. Exactly, but yeah, we all know it is. So, I mean, this. this, this so, what went wrong the next season? Um, in terms of that, is it Gordon leaving? Um, some have sort of pointed towards Prutton, but we've I've had more diplomatic responses since then, uh, um, defending uh, Prutton in, in that respect. But it did seem to become more fractured, didn't it? Yeah. See, once again, it's hard for me to really remember the that I was so focused on just 
Oh, I didn't have such a great season that year before. I played probably another 20 league games, including my games for Southend. And I wanted to just put on a personal note, I wanted to better what I'd done that year before, try and get back in the team and help Swindon get back to the playoffs or promotion. So that whole pre-season, I was kind of in my own little world, just working hard, trying to get back in the team. And there was definitely a different vibe uh, around the place. Like I spoke about before, you have, there's, you just, it's there, you, you know it's there, don't know what it is, but you get this vibe in a, a successful team or a successful squad and you're all singing off the same hymn sheet. And that following season, it was a little bit different. I don't know, I, I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't tell you it was this one, it, it wasn't one person's fault. It wasn't the change of tactics or because one player left. It was just, for whatever reason, uh, accumulation of things happened and and it just wasn't working as well as it was the year before and once you start going through a little bit of a sticky patch and you lose games and momentum is such a huge thing in football and once you lose that momentum from the previous season that disappointment of losing the playoff final it kind of just snowballed into the next season and once things aren't going well it's it's easy to point fingers and, and for people to not take accountability for, for the part that we all played in that season yeah, I mean, for you personally, I think it's a very good season, isn't it? I mean, obviously it earns you the the move up the divisions, mm. but I mean, you, you're playing regularly, you're scoring goals, you score that last minute winner against Huddersfield, who you play for um, the mm. following year, you score against Bristol Rovers, you score that goal against uh, Plymouth. Tell me, though, that your parents were at the 3-3 at Hewish Park, where we have that comeback. Uh I don't think they were. I think, that was the first, I, I think that was the first game that my mum said, look, I'm not coming up. I'm not driving up there because um, obviously the, the one before was when I got sent off. And I think the one before that, I, I got a really bad tackle from Terrell Forbes and I was out for about two months with a knee injury. So my mum said, nope, not this time. We're going to see how it goes. If you get through this unscathed, we might come up to the next one. But um, yeah, I remember actually celebrating the... Did I score the second goal in that game? And um, whoever scored the equaliser, uh, maybe JP or somebody. Yeah, it was JP, yeah. Yeah, I remember Stan. It wasn't even my goal, but I celebrated it like it was my goal. I stood on the billboards and I had hold of a Swindon fan by the scruff of their neck just screaming in their face. Um, <laughs> yeah, amazing. Oh, there, was, those, those there, were two, of... there were two goals in a minute though, weren't they? So those sort of moments, it doesn't matter who scores, you're... Uh... You're doing knee slides across the valley at that point as well, <laughs> yeah. uh, metaphorically. The season's scruffy, but it's it's far from we're far from dead. Nearer to the end of your your Swindon career, there's that game against Charlton again. I think you score in that one as well, don't you? Mm. And and that is seen because it's live on Sky. It's a good win. It's a good performance, and everyone's celebrating at the end. And the local papers after, you know members of that side were saying look we're still thinking about the playoffs we're not thinking about relegation and we're about 18th at that stage and plenty to play for and then off goes Sean Morrison and I do think it's one of the one of those moments in the season where if you stayed if Charlie stays then I'm not saying that we would have finished much higher than the relegation zone but I think we would have survived when 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 you go does that play on your mind that you sort of like oh, I'm leaving the guys behind here in a bit of a situation mm. because you you leave because 
the the activation clause in your contract is triggered by Reading. And of course, you have talks and you are ambitious. You want to climb up divisions. There's no ill in that respect. But does it play on your mind as an employee, as a teammate, when you are looking at those sort of departures? Yeah, it's always always hard leaving the club. I've done it a couple of times and it's always... You build a bond with people for so many years and you spend more time with the guys than you do with your own family sometimes. And uh, like you said, I, I wanted, I was ambitious. I wanted to go and play, not even just, I wanted to, the opportunity to go and play and, and try and become better at player at one level. Um, I would love to have done that with Swindon. I would have loved to have carried on playing there, but the opportunity that season arose and it was one that I couldn't really look away from as as much as it was a big decision it was always something that I'd aspire to do um, in my career from a young age to try and play at the highest level possible so um, once that that come up and there was a couple clubs um, I remember getting a phone call from from Tony Mowbray uh, who was at Middlesbrough at the time and uh, he wanted me to go up there instead of going to Reading but just off gut instinct and what I felt was right at the time uh, was Reading and uh, I think I definitely made made the right decision in, in, in choosing that club over Middlesbrough at that time um, but it wasn't an easy decision definitely wasn't because like you said it, it wasn't going too great that season uh, at Swindon um, but from a personal point of view it's something I had to do. At what point do you stop looking at like the form of your of your <clears> former <throat> club? So I imagine for the first few weeks when you join your new employers, you kind of got one eye on what the what the the old lads are doing, and then you're sort of then fully sort of involved with your new set of friends and teammates and things like that. How long does it take for you to sort of move on, so to speak? Uh, I don't I don't know if you ever really do because I still to this day. I, if I'm watching Sky Sports News, I always check for Swindon scores. And uh, obviously this season, uh, an ex-teammate of mine, Owen Doyle, was down down your way, banging the goals in every week. And I'd always check the scores, see if Doyle scored again. And uh, lo and behold, he had maybe he one or two. <laughs> and um, he was on a great bit of form. So, yeah, I mean, I still, I still Plymouth, obviously, I supported. I checked their scores. Swindon... All these teams that I've previously played, always they've got a close place to your heart, and you once you play for a club for for a period of time, and you kind of engulf yourself in in what that club is is and what they're about. I don't think you ever really turn your back on it. I was a bit disappointed, really, when when you went out on loan. So you, when you've got a first team player and you sell them, that's one thing. But when you're not playing as well, you're thinking, God, oh, he could have signed and then sent him straight back to Swindon mm. on loan instead of Huddersfield, where you are, Lee Clark really likes you, but you're not getting any minutes with them until the following season. And I think that's the thing that really sort of, sort of lingered because Huddersfield was the same level as Swindon. And mm. I think it would have made sense. And I think nowadays that's what would have happened potentially yeah. that you would have gone on loan back to Swindon. Was that ever on the cards? I think we pushed for it initially at the start because I got told, I, I look this next three, four months, you're not going to be playing for Reading. And I didn't expect to, um, but they wouldn't let, they wouldn't let me go on loan straight away. It was a kind of initial get your feet in the door, train with the lads, see what level you're up to. Uh, so it was never the first couple months I was kind of training six days a week 
with the first team, wasn't travelling to squads, wasn't involved in games. I think they used that as kind of to see what level I was at and how much work I needed. Um, and it got to kind of that March time and I was getting a bit frustrated. I'd been playing or involved a lot with the first team at Swindon for, for three years. So I wanted to be back involved in that environment. And um, I think by the time it was kind of, you can go on loan, it, it, the Swindon opportunity wasn't there. Um, and I think Reading pushed for, for the Huddersfield one, to be honest. Yeah, that's fair enough. Well, I mean, I've still got plenty of Swindon-related questions, so we can't really talk about Reading, Huddersfield and Cardiff too much, simply because you'd be here all afternoon. But it's safe to say it's gone all right, hasn't it? Yeah, no, look, I've, I'm, I'm very fortunate in how, how my career's panned out, and I've put a lot of hard work in. I've, I've, I've never... I spoke about before, I'm never going to set the world alight. And I've learned a lot from my time at Swindon. When I look back to the player I was when I first come onto the scene, it's where I am now. The the difference is chalk and cheese. It's uh, young and hungry and not much nous about my, my ability on the football pitch or learning how to play um, or how to get the best out of myself and, and tactical nous. But over the years, I've put a lot of work in on and off the pitch to to try and, like I said before, become the best version of myself, to try and become the, the best player I can be. Uh, whether that suits everyone, it's not going to, but um, it's so far so good. It's worked out okay. Um, yeah, and loving it. Loving the, 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 the new tasks that come in, in with football day in, day out. And um, absolutely loving it where I am at the minute. Yeah, I mean... 200 plus appearances for Cardiff. Uh, you scored in a penalty shootout at Wembley. Um, you scored in the Premier League, played over 50 times in the Premier League, scored against teams like Manchester United. So, you know, those are the standout highlights from me just doing sort of basic research. But that penalty shootout for Huddersfield, mm. even, I watched that live and that was nervy. Yeah, so that was, <laughs> that was, and that was a tough, I remember we were stood we missed the first three penalties that day. So we missed the first three. And I remember looking down the, the lineup on the pitch and I looked at one of my pals, uh, Jack Hunt, who's at Bristol now, and shook my head. I thought, oh, we've buggered this up, man. Like, how can we lose this? Like, flipping, we had such a good chance. And then I think they missed the first one and the third one and then maybe the fourth one. And then from that point, everyone, it was just score, score, goal, 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 goal. And it was making its way up through the subs or through the, the lads that didn't choose the first five penalties. And uh, it got to the eighth eighth taker. And I looked down the line again at my mate, Jack. Me and him are the only guys that haven't <laughs> taken one. And I just said, you're next. I said, no chance. I'm, I'm not taking one. No way. Because I'm, I'm going back on loans. I'm going back on back to Reading after this. this. That's my club. They've just been promoted to the Premier League. If I miss a penalty here and Huddersfield don't go up because of me, I'm going to feel terrible for the rest of my life. And, <laughs> and saying, goodbye, so, I'm off to the Premier League. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so Jack Jack scored and I thought, oh, if this, if this their Sheffield United player scores, then I'm going to have to take one here. Um, and as soon as he scored, I remember just being super calm, right, pick your spot, walking up to the penalty spot, put it down, don't change your mind. And fortunate enough, it went in. Uh, and yeah, then... Um, Alex Smithies, our goalkeeper, scored, and and theirs missed, and it was uh, an incredible day. It was 
one of the best moments to win at Wembley on, on a penalty shootout was absolutely insane. It was something that lived me forever. But as somebody who at that stage hadn't scored loads of goals or anything like that, having the ball in your hand or doing that walk to the spot and what is that like? It's hard to explain because at the time you're just so focused in on don't miss this fucking penalty. Just hit the target, give it the give it the best opportunity you can to go in. Um, I knew I had loads of friends in the crowd, my mum and dad, my brother, my brother's missus was in the crowd. I remember speaking to my brother, my brother, my brother, mum and dad said they couldn't watch it. My brother said he was watching it for his hands. It was and uh once it went in, the relief was insane. The right, I've scored, I've done my job. I haven't been the guy to let Huddersfield down as a city. There was, I think, thirty-five thousand fans from Huddersfield there, and about the same from Sheffield. So it's a massive Yorkshire derby, and it was an incredible day. But uh, yeah, it's hard to really remember my my emotions at that time. I just remember trying to calm myself down and, and like I said, try and pick my spot and hope hope it went in, hope for the best. Yeah. And you're not on the water bottle that the goalkeepers research or anything like that because you don't take penalties. So you've got That's that. The, that, was, that, that was the first and last one I've ever taken. I've never taken another one again because I've got 100% record. 100% record. <laughs> uh, be- before we go to take some listener questions, what are, what are the standout moments other than the ones that we've mentioned from your career? I apologise to any Cardiff or Huddersfield or Reading fans that might have listened to this because we're properly glossing over the most successful part of your career. But I don't care. I'm sorry. But what, <laughs> what, what are those highlights? Uh, so uh, first team debut for Swindon. That's the probably the first one. And then my first career goal which was, was huge. I absolutely, I'll never forget that moment. Um, and then it probably goes into that, that Reading period and uh, or Huddersfield, getting promoted with Huddersfield. And once I got back from Huddersfield after getting promoted with them, I felt like the the staff and the players, and they didn't look at me as a young lad after that. It was, he's a man now, he's come back, he's a different player. And I, I, I kind of got opportunities that season to, to prove myself at Reading and to then make my Premier League debut uh, score my Premier League first Premier League goal against Wigan um, and then a, a month later score against United at home uh, in a game we lost but incredible game a 4-3 uh, game at home against Man United um, and then all the way up probably till till two seasons ago when I, when I got promoted with with Cardiff to, to the Premier League over obviously we finished second behind Wolves but uh, Wolves were streets ahead of everyone that season um, and the way it finished down to the last day of the season to, to finally get promoted and, and back to the promised land was was an incredible day and, and uh, for such a, a great club like Cardiff as well it was it was an incredible week to be fair yeah what's Neil Warnock like an amazing amazing man honestly I know I know he's like Marmite for some people people once you get to know him he is one of the nicest I think we, I think we had him at a period in terms of he wasn't as uh, he didn't used to go as mad at us after losses or if standards had dropped, he didn't really. He had his assistants to get honest about that, but his man management skills are second to none. The way he used to be able to 
talk to players on one-to-one basis and then get the best out of the whole group. He used to, he got the best out of 25 lads and he really turned, turned the screw. When he first came in at Cardiff, the, the evolution over that 18 month period he was there was, was incredible. And like I spoke about before that group bond that we had at Cardiff and we had it at Swindon and I had it at Huddersfield, which I'm very lucky to have because some players don't have that in their careers. So he really built that. Um, but yeah, top, top guy. And, um, I think that a lot of players that played for him would probably say the same. Yeah. And how's Aidan Flint doing? I would love to have him on. So put in a good word for me. I will do. I'll get big Flinty on. He's a, he's a great guy, Flint. He's a big baby. He's <laughs> uh he moans every day without fail, but, um, uh, brilliant guy. Brilliant. I've known Flinty for many years and he's top, top fella. And he, 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 he fit into, uh, to this club like duck to water. He, really just come through the door personality loud proud um yeah top top guy we've got some stuff to work through swindon and, and mm. aiden so that would be that would yeah. be <laughs> i bet i <laughs> we, bet we've got a few things to work on <laughs> he won't he won't he won't hold back either oh no and, and <laughs> that will be fine i was there that day um when he did the no 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 comment and it was fully justified in fairness but that that's for a different episode altogether okay we've got some listener questions are you ready for these yep okay so the first question is from a callum kennedy um he asks uh, well he wants you to tell the story of craig easton sunbathing in austria ah this is a good one uh which this, this is like a once one in a billion chance of this ever happening again. This is how good it was. So um, in Austria, you are miles away from anything. You're in your hotel, you've got your pitches, you've all got bikes and you have to cycle about probably three or four miles to the nearest, what would be like a co-op over there. Or So we'd drive down there, get a few snacks for the evenings and stuff. And, and Callum loved these biscuits. They were like, they were almost like, Bien biscuits, they were massive, big circular ones with the cream in the middle, and they were heavy, they were like rocks. Yeah. And um we've driven back and maybe a, a night or two's passed, and we're in between sessions. And <laughs> me, Callum, and Lloydie are just chilling in the room or whatever, and uh Callum's come flying into the room. He's like, oh, Eastie's out there sunbathing. And we were on like the fourth or fifth floor. Eastie's probably forty meters away, but four or five stories down so he's miles away really in terms of trying to hit him with something and cow has gone what can we throw what can we throw and uh, Lloydie's got these biscuits that use one of these biscuits and cow I was like cow that's that's like a brick man you can't throw that that's he said I'm never gonna hit him and Callum anyone that knows Callum he is he's got a fantastic left foot brilliant footballer but he throwing things for some reason he cannot he's got no sense of coordination when he throws things cow's picked up this biscuit that's built like a brick and absolutely cannoned one off the balcony and as it's come it's kind of gone up into the air and just skyrocketed down kamikaze style straight towards east we're all sat on the balcony watching and this biscuit has hit him square in the face like it couldn't have been any more perfect literally bullseye right on the face Eastie's flew off a sun lounger backwards he's reading a book his books flew up in the air his legs have come off the sun loungers almost closed in half 
behind the balcony. Obviously, Easty has no clue where we are. We're miles away from him. And it, all you can hear is in his Scottish accent going, ape shit, ape shit. Who's done that? He's looking in the bushes. He's like, somebody's threw a fucking brick at me. And literally, he thought someone had come from behind the bushes and threw a brick in his face. <laughs> because it had hit him that hard, he was adamant someone had threw a brick at him or threw something at him and then dived into the bushes. Callum was so scared and nervous, he's popped up and said, Easty, I'm so sorry. And Easty's turned around and looked up and he's just about to go mad at Callum and then stopped and just gone, what a fucking shot that was. <laughs> And burst out laughing, and it was the it just got squashed straight away. It was absolutely brilliant, but like I said, it would Callum could have threw that biscuit a billion times, and it would never have hit him as clean as it did straight in the face. <laughs> and um, Easty Easty took it like a champ as well. And that's the most important thing. Another question here: It's from Callum Kennedy. Talk to us about the bike ride and David Morrison. Okay, yeah. So uh, me and Callum were both. Uh, we had little twinges, maybe I think Callum's hip and my hamstring was a bit tight. So instead of doing the afternoon session, uh, Danny Wilson said, look, jump on the bikes, go for a bike ride with Dave, who was an absolute machine, by the way. The guy was an animal when it comes to fitness. And we're expecting like a lovely leisurely bike ride around the lake. And Dave Morrison has taken us on like a 28 mile bike ride through the mountains. And he's gunning it he's like burning off ahead of us so me and Callum are thinking we can't get beaten by the fitness coach like so we're racing each other we're trying to get in front of him and we get to like the last we come back around and we know what road we're on now we're getting towards the training ground and um we're literally all three of us are racing for the training ground and Dave's come flying around this corner right before the pitches and there was like high laurels like big bushes and as Dave's come flying around the corner, me and Callum are coming behind him. And all we've heard is like, ah, oh, fuck now. Some noise from a sketch show. And we've just seen this bike, literally Dave Morrison fly through the air. This bike come flying behind him. And as we've come around the corner, I can't remember if it was just a guy walking or a guy walking with his bike or a guy on his bike, but Dave's clattered into this person, this Austrian person. At, <laughs> it must have been at about 30 miles an hour. But then Dave got up, not apologised, and then him and him and this person are having the most mental argument because the guy he banged into didn't speak a word of English. Dave Morrison is trying to explain to him that it was his fault, even though he had come flying around the corner at 30 miles an hour. <laughs> on a path and me and Callum were just burning off towards the training ground, literally pissing ourselves laughing. And even now when I speak to Callum about it now, he still is in hysterics giggles because it, it was honestly the picture of Dave coming up over the bush and then disappearing again was, was amazing. Fantastic. And the final question is from a Callum Kennedy um, asking about a certain citizen's arrest in Bristol. Yeah. Uh, this one's a bit more, hazy because it was after a night out but it we had a swindon night out in bristol and um me and callum had got some food or whatever we were on our way back to the hotel and we've just seen out of nowhere a, a, a guy running away from what looked like a scene of a crime and there was police officers there was people trying to get hold of this person and me and callum were like we've just we've just seen him he's just gone that way 
<laughs> so me and Cal, in our hazy, drunken, tipsy state, have gone, mate, we can go catch him. Should we go catch him? And we've just took off. Kebabs have gone. And we're, <laughs> we're running through Bristol City Centre after this guy. This guy must have thought, like, have you two got anything better to do than chase me down? We are hairing after him as fast as we can. We're getting closer and closer until I think we get to almost like a T-junction or a dead end somewhere and we we can't find this guy. He is like missing. We're like, I've lost him. Policeman is coming up like they're about two minutes behind us. They have come. Where is he? We don't know. And you just hear this rustling. I'm sure he's in like a hiding in a bush or somewhere. This guy is literally rustling around in a bush scared. And yeah, they ended up arresting him and me and Callum were walking off like we're the biggest heroes in the world, high-fiving police officers, like we were the kings of the world. It was, ah, oh, yeah, brilliant. And as we as we close now, what are your sort of like fondest memories of your time at Swindon? Not necessarily on the pitch, just because like you said, you, you had a great dressing room. Mm. What, what are your fondest memories of being a part of that Swindon era? Just being around players that were much older than me at the time, but they're probably in their mid-20s, people like Billy Painter, Michael Pook, uh, JP, like I spoke about, Hasney, all these players, Scotty Cuthbert, Simon Ferry, all these players who um, just allowed you, they allowed you to be yourself. There was no, um, you can't be that way because you're only 18 years old. You need to be a certain way because you're 18. It was, let let them be themselves and let their personalities come out and and they did that and it really really helped the the young boys come through and helped my personality come through much better than it probably would have if that hadn't have happened and the the group of lads we had like i said day in day out in training we had a great school of lads we used to go for coffees we used to it was just really enjoyable to be around that group of people uh for as long as i was and very fortunate to yeah, fantastic. And just keep you away from the fire extinguishers. Yeah, learn my <laughs> lesson there. Sean, thank you very much. Oh, absolute pleasure, man. Thank you. The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford. And the artwork is provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Come on, boys. It's a grand old team to Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, 
or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.